Welcome to Growing in the Gospel with Father Zach Weber. It is the third Sunday of Lent. Well, welcome to Growing in the Gospel, Father Zach, and super excited to have you here because our gospel is long this Sunday. So maybe give yourself a little extra time if you don't have it, press pause and then start this later. Um, so this Sunday, our gospel comes from John chapter 4, which is known as a story of the woman at the well, or even the Samaritan woman at the well. So as we enter into this gospel, I encourage you, as always, call upon the Holy Spirit. Maybe just take some time to take a few deep breaths, uh, just relax and receive, because there's a lot going on here, and we're going to try to open that up for you. But also just make sure that, you know, this is one of the most powerful gospels, and we are all the Samaritan woman at the well. We are all her. And it's a great way to uh, receive this gospel, but also to eventually become Christ towards others um, as they're, you know, at the wells of their life, these these ones that are not giving life. And I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited to preach on this gospel this weekend, but also excited for you to encounter the Lord and come to Mass prepared. So our gospel, again, if you have a Bible, comes from John chapter 4. Verses 5 through 42, and our gospel begins with, Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down there at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? For Jews use nothing in common with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you do not even have a bucket, and the cistern is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this cistern and drank from it himself with his children and his flocks? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give will never thirst. The water I shall give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. Jesus answered her, You are right in saying, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you people say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You people worship what you do not understand. We worship what we understand, because salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And indeed, the Father seeks such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, the one called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking with you. At that moment, his disciples returned and were amazed that he was talking with a woman. But still no one said, what are you looking for? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her jar and went into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I have done. Could he possibly be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say in four months the harvest will be here. I tell you, look up and see the fields ripe ripe for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving payment and gathering crops for eternal life, so that sower and reaper can rejoice together. For the saying is verified that one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the work, and you are sharing the fruits of their work. Many many of the Samaritans of that town began to believe in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything I have done. When the Samaritans came to him, they invited him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more of them began to believe in him because of his word, and they said to the woman, We no longer believe because of your word, for we ourselves have heard, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. So, an awesome gospel, a long gospel, I get it, it's long, but you got to hang in there, you got to hang in there and imagine what this looked like. So I'm going to try to open this for you just a little bit to hopefully help you uh, understand what this is, what's going on here, because there's so much going on, and hopefully uh, you can come to Mass with a deep understanding and come ready to die to self and fall in love with the life-giving Lord, the life-giving water that the Lord desires us to have. So when we look at this particular gospel, he came to a city of Samaria, and Samaritans and Jews did not talk to one another. They were considered unclean because they're not the chosen people. But nonetheless, there's a lot of symbolism happening here. So pay attention because we got to go and we got to go fast. So Jacob's well is there. What the heck is up with Jacob's well? So nowhere mentioned in the Old Testament is this Jacob's well, but traditionally it's located at the foot of Mount Gerizim in central Samaria. So the setting recalls the marital arrangements described in the Pentateuch. So the wives of Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, which you can find in Genesis 24, Genesis 29, and Exodus 2, these places of wells were the first place where they were encountered. So Jesus is the divine bridegroom in search of believers to be his covenant bride. That's huge. 
really big to know that the Lord wants to be one with us. He wants to be wedded to us. And also, it says that it was about noon, which is also known as the sixth hour. You'll see that in the Gospel of John, talking about what, what hour is coming. And also, when it's the sixth hour, it's noon. That mean, means the sun would have been directly over the well to shine straight through. So the Lord wants to encounter us at the own wells where we're going that are probably not good for us. And he wants to show that it's not what you're made for. And he wants to show you the truth. So then here, Jesus is sitting there and, and a woman of Samaria comes to draw water. So centuries and centuries of animosity between Jews and Samaritans loom in the background of this episode. So, I mean, I don't know where you're at, but maybe it's like a Bears and a Packers fan be watching a football game together. Or maybe we could even say a Republican and a Democrat sitting together. Or maybe a Protestant and a Catholic sitting together and just doing something that you would never imagine and you'd be appalled by it. But this also began with the devastation of the northern of northern Palestine by Assyria in the 8th century BC when masses and masses of Israelites were, Israelites were deported out of the land and foreign peoples were forcibly resettled into the region. You can see that in 2 Kings 17 and 24. But according to the Jews of southern Palestine, the remaining Israelites, known as Samaritans, had defiled themselves by assimilating the practices of these pagan peoples and intermarrying with them. So the enmity between Jews and Samaritans was very much alive in New Testament times, and both groups even took steps to avoid interaction with one another, especially in the matters of food and drink. So when they're talking about this, you don't do that. This is something that's a big no-no. But his disciples have gone to get food, so they're looking for the physical, and Jesus is looking for the spiritual here. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that a Jew, or you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria? So not only is he talking to a Samaritan, he's talking to a, a, a woman. For he says, For Jews have no dealing with Samaritans, or he had and women. Now how is it? So Jesus oversteps the boundaries of Jewish tradition here, which discouraged men from conversing with women in public. You can see that later in verses 4, 27, uh, chapter 4, verse 27. But also sharing a drink with Samaritan women or also associating with someone who's recognized as a sinner. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, you know, and who would have saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So living water is an expression has, which has two levels of meaning. The woman takes it to mean flowing water. You know, a preferable alternative to stagnant well water, which would be important because it probably gets sick and full of dust and dirt and bugs. But Jesus is speaking of the life and vitality of the Spirit, which you'll see in chapter 7 of John in verses 38 through 39. So there's several prophetic texts that depict the blessings of the Lord as life-giving water in the Old Testament. So you can even see that in Isaiah 12, 3, or 44.3, Ezekiel 47, 1-12, or even Zechariah 14.8. And Christian tradition associates living water with baptismal waters, which lead us to eternal life. And Paul, in fact, describes baptisms in terms of drinking from the Spirit. You can see that from 1 Corinthians 
you know, and, and, and born of water and spirit, you know, the, the close link of water and spirit is forged in John's writing. And, you know, immediately following the episode of Jesus and his disciples is he goes out and he starts his baptismal ministry. So this is a part of him going out and preaching of the power of being baptized. And other New Testament pa- passages describe baptism as a sacrament of salvation through the Spirit. You can see that in Acts 2.38, 1 Corinthians 6.11, and even Titus 3.5 and Peter 3.20, 1 Peter 3.21. So the Old Testament envisions Yahweh pouring out his Spirit from above in the Messianic age. And this is depicted as water being poured upon the Israelites to wash away their iniquities and renew their hearts. So these prophetic hopes should have prepared Nicodemus in John 3 to prepare and understand for the thrust of Jesus' teaching. You know, Jesus, he been asking, how can I be born again? And this just happens right after that. So now the woman, she's asking, you know, I can see that you are greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it, and his sons and his cattle, you know, his flocks. And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You know, how many times do you go back to the same sin, the same place where you know it's not good for you, and you do it anyways? You know, and I just ask you, how's that going for you? And Jesus says, I don't want you to thirst again for what you're not made for. He's, but he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. He will make everything of this world feel empty. And he'll give you the grace to detach. So he's trying to teach her, don't worry about the opinions of the world. Don't get so attached to material things. And the woman said, I am tired, you know, in one way or another. I am so tired of the way I'm living. I'm so tired of living in fear. I'm so tired I guess you could say, she's probably saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And she says, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw, because you don't go out in the middle of the day to draw water, because she, as we'll hear later, you know, she has five husbands. So that means she's had five, she's probably on her sixth. So she says, sir, give me this life-giving water. Now she says, sir, it's a respectful term. But as we notice, as a, this episode progresses, the perception of Jesus' identity becomes more and more clear. Because in five more verses, in 419, Jesus is a prophet. But by verse 29, he's the Christ. And by verse 442, chapter 4, verse 42, he is the Savior of the world. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And she's like, I don't have a husband. And he's like, you are right, saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And why five? Like, what, what's going on here? So we always want to read the Old Testament in light of the new and the new of the old. So the woman's personal life parallels the historical experience of the Samaritan people. So according to 2 Kings 17, 24-31, the five foreign tribes who intermarried with the northern Israelites, known as the Samaritans, introduced five male deities into their religion. These idols were individually addressed as Baal, or Baal, B-A-A-L, a Hebrew word meaning lord or husband. But these are like sex gods. These are unhealthy. When you, go, when you look at the history of the church, and especially in Second Kings, this is unhealthy stuff. But the prophets denounce Israel for serving these gods, calling such worship infidelity to its true covenant spouse, 
Yahweh. So hope was kept alive, however, that God would show mercy to the Israelites and become their everlasting husband in the bonds of the new covenant, which you can see in Hosea 2, 16-20. So this day has dawned in the ministry of Jesus, the divine bridegroom, who has come to save the Samaritans from a life of struggles with five pagan husbands. In some way or another, we probably have five major sins. You can look at, you know, look at the five senses. Where am I bonded and where am I free? And the Lord wants this woman to be free as he wants all of us to be free. He wants to be our spouse. You know, and, and she just says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So we're at the prophet point. It says, in Old Testament times, the Samaritans worshipped in a sanctuary built on Mount Gerizim, although it was destroyed in 128 BC. They continue to worship on the mountain during the New Testament times and even to the present day. And again, the mountain is always a symbol of God's grandiosity. And the woman is spoken to by Jesus right after this. And he says, woman, believe me. And you can even say, insert name. Joe, Sarah, John, Jesse, Jacob. Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, says Jesus, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So the Samaritan religion was a mixture of Israelite faith and pagan idolatry. So Jesus speaks from the perspective of the Old Testament, which describes idol worship as ignorant worship. And the Messiah was expected to come from the line of David, who belonged to the royal tribe of Judah. You can see that in Genesis 49, 8-12. And then Jesus says, The hour is coming and now is, or is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So Christian worship contrasts the Jewish and Samaritan worship, so it will be in spirit, not confined to a single Israelite sanctuary where the ritual sacrifice of animals has continued since the days of Moses. It will also be in truth, not tainted by the errors of idolatry that have plagued the Samaritans since the days of the divided kingdom. So Jesus is saying, you can now worship me anywhere in the world and I'll build my new temples, the church, anywhere through the power of my spirit. And, he says, and Jesus says that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. We must understand what we worship. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will show us all things. And here's the big line. Jesus said to her, it is I who am speaking to you, or I who speak to you am he. And Jesus accepts the title of Messiah. Only here, only here, and at his trial in Mark 14, 16, 61 through 62. So right at this moment, this critical moment, the disciples come and they're like, what? What do you wish? Why are you talking with her? But the woman left her water jar. She came there and that water jar represents so much, so much baggage that you and I carry around. Because she, she now, by leaving her, her old way behind, she instantly becomes a missionary and a believer, accepting Jesus as the Messiah and sharing their belief, that belief with her hometown. 
But morally, as St. Augustine says, the water jar is the fallen desire of every man that draws pleasure from the dark wells of the world, but is never satisfied for long. Do you ever see anybody who's just kind of jumping from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, and is never satisfied in a certain sense, or is never on mission to stick with one thing? So conversion to Christ moves people, like the Samaritan woman, to renounce the world to leave behind the desires of our earthen vessels and follow the new and narrow way of life. And the disciples come back to him. They say, you know, we got food for you. You got, you got to be hungry. We've been traveling a long time. And Jesus says, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples are like, has anyone brought him food? And Jesus is like, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. So the Father's will is always dri- the driving force behind Jesus' mission. Is that how you pray when you pray, Father, bless me with your will. Jesus, bless, bless me with the will of the Father. Make that my food. It's a really different way of praying. If someone says, hey, let's do this as a parish mission or as, a, as an event at a parish saying, is it the Father's will? Because we pray, thy will be done, right? The Father's will. But if we hold on to our jugs, we can't do that. If we hold on to those, those dead areas, we're never going to grow. We're never going to let go and become a missionary. So the song that I'm going to end with is All That I Need by Joe Zambone. This song is exactly about this gospel. I love this song. And, and you know, what we really need to do, my friends, is we really need to never go back to our old way of life. Never. Never go back. There's no turning back. Because once you truly encounter Christ, he changes everything. And if you haven't changed, maybe you just don't know Jesus and you have to say, Father, I want that life-giving water. I, I, I move from, like the woman at the well, I move from sir to prophet to Messiah, to Savior of the world, right? And then I got to go tell people about this amazing Jesus. There's no other option. There's no other option. And he wants to shed light upon all that is dark in our lives and give us life-giving water. And he wants to make everything of this world tasteless. And I can only speak from personal experience of my encounter with Jesus. You know, he let me taste after encountering him. He let me taste just the bottomless gunk, grossness, stupidity, dumb, moronic sins, those things I was doing I knew weren't right. And he said, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you ready to do it my way? Do you want true joy? Do you want true rest? Do you want true peace? Do you want life-giving water? So you can worship in spirit and in truth. So again, the song is All That I Need by Joe Zambone. I hope it moves you to conversion. I hope you take this gospel reading personally. And if you can, go to confession and leave your jug there and never turn back. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're all that
I love you, Lord, I love you. No, I won't. 